would like to extend a special welcome to our first time guests here in the room and online. We are so glad you're joining us and hope you'll choose to make Cap City your church home. If you are here in the room, please remember to complete and place your connection card in the offering. Please review the weekly activities section in our bulletin. There are several great Bible study and fellowship meetings to join. And there is an awesome team meetup Sundays at 6 p.m. as well as small group Bible study on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. with Elizabeth and Norman Lane. This Wednesday, the Awana program with Scott and Tara Fisher, Fisher kicks off for fall. You can register your child at the Awana table in the lobby. If you have questions about any of the ministries here at Cap City Church, Feel free to stop by the Information Center, in the Sanctuary, or in the lobby. Thank you for supporting the ministries of Cap City Church. To give online, search capcitychurch.live. That's capcitychurch.live. You can also give through Cash App at Capital City Church, and you can give by writing a check or by giving cash. Our ushers will receive the offering at the end of service. Now join us as we worship the Lord together. Good morning, Cap City. You can stand to your feet and worship with us. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my choice. Till I lay.
Spirit of Jesus living within us. Never to fail or forsake. Unending promise. Heaven inside us. those names is Yahweh. I'd like for you, if you would, just to bow your heads with me for a moment, and I'd like for you just to whisper this name. This name means that He is the God who was. You can't look far enough back into history and see a time that he wasn't. He is the God who is, and even in the midst of a world that is changing so fast, he never changes. And he is the God who always will be. And I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. And just whisper his name. Yahweh. Will you do this with me? Yahweh. Yahweh. We worship you. You are the God who is. You are the God who was. And you are the God who always will be. Whisper it one more time with me. Yahweh. Then if you have your Bibles and you want to look to the reading of the Scripture, and may I just tell you that as we talk about this idea here at Cap City of becoming people of the Word, I have a novel idea for some of you. Why not bring a Bible? Oh, I got it on my phone. Yeah, I know. Why not bring a Bible to church? You can underline it. You can put notes on it. 
you can do different things. And if we're going to be people of the Word, I'd like for you to, to bring a Bible. I'd like for you to get that sermon note section out of the, the worship folder. And just, just take it there. And if you will fill that out this next week, you'll be able to look at this passage and you'll be able to think back on some of the things I've said. And then what's going to happen is that God's going to give you new insights that I'm not even offering to you today. Let us become people of the Word. And in verse 31, the question is asked, and we've been asking this question through this month and in this series. If God be for us, will you answer it? Who can be against us? Say it again. If God be for us, who can be against us? I love the way the message says it. For you see, the message says that what is happening here is that right now is that if God be for us, if God be for us like this, who can be against us and succeed? And then it goes down to verse 37, and here's what it says. No, despite all these things, we are more than conquerors, or we have overwhelming victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment of prayer? And Connie, could you bring that folder that's on the floor there for me? Thank you. Bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer. Our Father, we have come this day and we are coming to seek after you with all of our heart and mind. Lord, there is a heart in our hearts that say we desire to be in the presence of the Most High God. And so, Lord, as we are here, we thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. In the movie Apollo 13, some of you might remember this scene. There was a very frightening and tense scene that took place uh, in the movie, and, and as Apollo 13 was making a trip, if there can be such a thing as a, a routine trip to the moon, <laughs> I don't know if there is such a thing, but that it was supposed to be just a routine trip to the moon, and when they got up to the moon, they began to understand that they did not have enough power, they did not have enough uh, of what they needed to do to be able to land and to get back to Earth, and so they decided mid-flight that they were going to try to make it back, and they were going to try, they skipped the landing, tried to sling around uh, the gravity of the moon, and tried to make their way back. If you've seen, how many have seen that film? Uh, Apollo 13, yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the all-time greats. And as, the, and as they're going through this period, and they're going through and they're coming back to Earth, and, and you watch the, the cold beginning to form, and you watch the instruments beginning to go down, and you watch each other as they begin to realize this is pretty serious, what we're involved in right now. And some of you may very well remember the great, great word after they realized that they had done everything they could do. Do you remember what it said? Houston, we have a problem. 
Got a little feedback here. Houston, we have a problem. Let's say it together. Houston, we have a problem. And that problem then became the whole storyline as they frantically began to try to make their way back to earth. And as history records and as Hollywood is so good at, they made it back. And I love when Tom Hanks said to the guys, not sure what was going to happen. He said, guys, it was a joy riding with you. And I, I've said that different times. Every, it was a joy riding with you. And it's a joy riding with you. You look at somebody and say, it's a joy riding with you today. <laughs> it's a good ride. It's a good ride. But let me tell you, when you look around our world today and you look around where we are and where we're living and all the things that are going on, I think we begin to realize today that the world we live in, there is a deep sense that something is wrong. Something has gone amiss. We don't know and we look around and we see all these things and we say that something is, is dreadfully wrong. Morning after morning, my wife and I get up in the morning and we drink our coffee. She eats her toast. Sometimes I eat cereal. Sometimes I just eat a piece of toast. And we're sitting there and she always has to have the morning news on. You know why? Not to hear what happened last night, not to know what's happening in the world, around the world, to know what to wear today. And so that's what we watch the morning news for, is to find out what the weather is going to be. And, and so every morning when we watch the news, I mean every morning, somebody is shot, somebody is mortally wounded, somebody is robbed, somebody has a crime, somebody is going through things that, that they shouldn't be going on morning after morning. And we're not talking about Los Angeles. We're not talking about New York. We're talking about Columbus, Ohio, where we live and sometimes not very far from where we worship. Something, something is wrong. You begin to look around a little further and you see pictures of people who are masked at the border and trying to find their way and, and literally living in cages like animals. And, and I saw the other day where they were shooting bullets from Mexico over into the United States to see if they could hit anyone. And you begin to realize something is not right in this picture. When you begin to see riots and lawlessness that's taking place, not only in this country, but it's happening all over the world. And riots and lawlessness and, and throwing off the rule of law and a sense of lawlessness. There is something going on. Children that are being used and children that are being taught things that are not only uh, against the very essence and undermine the essence of faith, but undermines in essence the very essence of the American way of life. And you put all of that with a pandemic that's affecting more and more of us and more and more of our people. My own brother-in-law has it now. And there are some in our congregation. Emma Willis has it now. There are other people in our church that have had it and are struggling with it. It is a pandemic that is literally going around the world. And we begin to look back and say, something doesn't seem to be right. 
in this picture. Nations are building enough weapons to destroy the world over and over again. How many times must we destroy the world? How many weapons do we need? Do we need to destroy the world three times, five times, six times, ten times? There's something that, that grieves my own heart. I watch things, and they, there are some people that have so much money. They don't know what to do with it. I mean, they've got so much, and their best idea is less. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have money, but I'm just saying there are some people that, that the only thing they need to do is let's build more lavish things and more lavish things and more lavish things. Let's build a lavish dog house for our dog. Let's build a, a, a lavish pig trough for our tree. I mean, let's just do, we don't know what to do with all this. Let's just spend it. Well, there are other people that are struggling just to get by and they can't hardly get a loaf of bread. And you begin to understand something is wrong with this picture. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to just be totally honest with you today. There's something wrong with this iPad. <laughs> I have no idea. Yes, all right. <laughs> I mean, this is what I'm preaching from today. And uh, I, I noticed that as I just had a funny feeling that I should bring up my uh, notes, my, my hard copy notes. Yeah, I thought, you know, I never do that. And, I, and, and the Lord just sort of prompted me and said, uh, why don't you just take the hard copy today? And I thought, yeah, I got my iPad. You know who cares about that? It's, you know, it's fixed now. It's fixed now. Here's what happened. I was opening the scripture, and my iPad said, verifying update. And I thought, oh, precious Lord. And as we kept going on, the whole thing goes black, and there's a little thing. And I'm, I'm saying, oh, God, help this thing to get through this somewhere. It is finally fixed. Eric, thank you. Um, you know, he must have prayed and done all that. But nevertheless, let me just tell you. Now I can shut the other things, but I may need them here. You never know. I, these technology things just uh, always have a backup plan, right? Uh, look at somebody and say, always have a backup plan. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's better than looking at you and saying, uh, I thought I was going to say something, but I have no idea what I'm going to say. And the old time preachers say, if you didn't have to have that stuff, you'd just preach like you used to. I, yeah, I, know, I, I understand. But nevertheless, we have this sense that there is something really wrong. And I think collectively we begin to say, God, we have a problem. God, there is a problem in our hearts. God, there's a problem in our lives. God, there's a problem in our families. God, there's a problem in our cities. Lord, just like they said in the Apollo movie, Houston, we have a problem. We need to say to God, God, we have a problem. And it's a bigger problem than we know what to do with. And it's a bigger problem when we can't seem to find our way through it. You see, the Bible is the saga 
of how God so loved the world and how the sin of the world began to unfold and God's redemptive plan to bring this somehow until we can become more than a conqueror. The problem that is going on in our world today, and I want you to say this with me, because very, very few people use this word anymore. This word has disappeared from the vocabulary, not only of the church, but in society in general. The problem that is going on in our world, and it's called sin. Jot it down if you have your notes. The problem in the world is sin. We want to say, and others want to say, no, it's not sin. It's just about poverty. But I want to tell you what, I've known people who have been poor as Job's turkey, but they had God in their lives, and they were happy as they could be, and had a trust in God. It's not poverty. There are others that said, well, you don't have an education. My dear grandmother and grandfather on the dean's side, my grandmother graduated from seventh grade, and that was all she had. But I want to tell you what, she had God deep in her heart. She had God deep in her soul. And I want to tell you what, it wasn't the fact that she didn't know geometry and didn't know algebra and didn't know all that stuff. She had a solid trust in God and she was a happy person and a productive person and did good things. It's not education. I'm not against education. It's not a lack of respect. I've known people who have had respect, who've been spat on, who have been persecuted, who've gone through things. Well, if we just respected this person, that's not the issue. We ought to respect everyone, of course, but that's not the issue. It's what goes on on the inside. It's because of oppression of others. But I want to tell you what, there were slaves and have been slaves throughout the history of time not just African-American slaves. I'm talking about slaves from Israel all the way in who have learned. And some of the things that I've read, even about some of uh, that dark period in our own lives, how they had a relationship with God and they were able to say, even though we're in chains and in bondage, there is a God that sets us free. And I can sing from my heart that I am a child of the King. Amen. Though wretched and poor, I'm a child of the king. And I tell you what, it's not poverty or education or respect or anything else. It is sin. I want you to understand that today in your life and in the lives of others. Would you turn to somebody and, and just say this loud with me. The problem in our world is Say it again like you mean it. The problem in our world is it is not. Sin brings all these other things that we talk about, but it's basically a sin issue. From a biblical point of view, the problem in our world is sin. The book of Romans, and we're looking at Romans 8, and, and uh, Ed and Nan Davis are doing a beautiful Bible study on Wednesdays in the book of Romans. I think they're going to be in Romans 3 this week, and if you have a chance, you ought to go there. But the book of Romans is one of the greatest books, one of the greatest teaching books in the Bible about this issue of sin and what it does in the human life. It talks about the problem of sin. It talks about the plan of salvation. It talks about the wonder of redemption. 
adoption. It talks about the blessing of being justified. It talks about the sufficiency of God's grace. It talks about the pattern for holy living. Let me tell you what, the book of Romans is a description of the problem and a definition of the solution. Amen. Amen. Let's just talk for a few moments. When I say that the problem is sin, let's define that. You see, in Romans 1, there's a whole lot that goes into this issue that has brought us as a culture and as people to where we are. You see, the first is, the Bible tells us in Romans 1, that sin begins when we refuse to acknowledge God. Now just, just think on it for a moment. When I was doing marriage counseling, I always used to ask couples, you know, I had these four questions about communication. The question was, can we talk? And inevitably, there was always one person that was the talker and the other person that wasn't. And if they had two that was talkers, that was really an interesting session. Can we talk? The second one is yours, mine, and ours. We all have families, your family, my family, and our family. How are we going to do this? The third question about finance was, how much is enough? How much is enough? And the last question always was, what is the role of God in your home? More than one person would look back and say, well, Pat, you know, you're a nice guy. And we want to get married in church and all that. You know, we don't believe in God. I said, okay. So every person has a choice to make. You're either going to believe that there is God and there are consequences that follow that, or you're going to believe that there is no God. And I said, are you really ready for the consequences of that? Well, what do you mean? Well, if there is no God, your life is worthless. You're nothing more than a big grown-up germ. And anyone could just swat you at any time. Your life means nothing. Are you okay with that? Do you understand that there's no purpose in life? The best thing we can do is eat, drink, and hope we die quick. Are you ready for that? Well, I don't think. Are you ready for the fact that there really is no law? There's really no moral reason. There's really no uh, God that, that controls things. Well, I'm not sure I'm ready for all that. No, but when you choose the view, I am not going to acknowledge God. I am going to go it on my own, and man is my God, and man is my creature, and man is who I am, and that's all I need. You set in motion a whole bunch of things that I don't think are schools, I don't think are politicians, I don't think the people that march have any idea that they're just saying that all of us are just a blown up chaos and one day it's all gonna just burn up. 
So what's the point? When we refuse to acknowledge God, that's the beginning. And then it goes a little further. When we refuse to honor God, not just acknowledge him, but to honor him as who he is, the Yahweh God, we don't honor him. And when we refuse to worship him, and then we refuse to obey him, and even though he's given us these, these uh, statutes and commandments that our lives might be full and rich, we say, I know how to do it better. I can do it better, and I'm going to do it my way. And the last is when we refuse, and this is the very essence of sin, when we refuse to believe God. It's the same thing in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent said to Eve, can you eat of all the fruit of the trees? No, uh, there's one. Well, God knows that when you eat of that tree, you'll become like God. No, uh, if we eat of that tree, we'll die. And this is what he said. You will not surely die. And the essence of sin came to a refusal to believe God. Now I want you just to look across our culture. And I want you to think how much of what we're walking through is a result of just refusing to believe what God has said. And sin causes crime, death, depression, hopelessness, devaluing of human life, corruption, slavery, bondage. Sin is designed, and I want you to know this this morning, if you're young, if you're old, if you're somewhere in between, sin is designed by the evil one to do three things. It's designed to steal from you, to steal everything that's good, to steal your identity, to steal your good things, to steal your integrity, and you can t write it down in your, in your booklet, it's steal. It's to steal the things in your life that are valuable and good. To steal. To kill. Sin wants to kill everything that is good in your life. And third, it comes to destroy. It comes to steal kill and destroy everything that is beautiful in your life. If you could take a beautiful painting and watch somebody with a malicious intent come up and just begin to cut it up until it's ruined, that's what God or what the evil one wants to do in your life when he tells you it won't hurt you, it's not a problem, go ahead and do it, even though God says no, even though we don't have to do what God says, we're going to do it our way. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. But I want you to know what it does to the heart. You see, when sin is allowed in our lives, the first thing it does is it brings overwhelming guilt. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have gone through that. A few years ago, a very difficult and dark period in my life that I don't need to go into detail about, 
But I had become convinced that I had done something wrong. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't pinpoint it. I couldn't understand what it was. But I felt this overwhelming, crushing sense of guilt. My wife tried to help me, and it was just one of those times that I, I, I just couldn't pull myself out of it. And, and for whatever reason, as we look back now, it was a terrible spiritual battle. But I had this horrific sense of guilt. I would go to bed at night, and I would feel guilty. I would wake up in the morning and I would feel guilty. I even went to see my brother-in-law, who's a big attorney down here in downtown Columbus. His firm charges $500 an hour. Now, thank God he's my brother-in-law, and so he didn't charge me that. But uh, I went to see him, and I sat down, and, and uh, when I sat down and talked with him, I said, Danny, I, I don't know what I've done, but I've done something terrible. He said, well, did you bring any of the papers? I said, I don't have any papers at all. You have no papers? I said, no, I don't have any papers. He said, he looked at me so odd, and he said, what have you done, David? I said, I don't know, but it's terrible bad. And he said, have you stolen money from the church? I said, Lord, no, I'm not that smart. I couldn't do it. We've got people that take care of money. I, I haven't stolen money from the church. He said, David, have you had an affair? I said, Danny, I've never touched another woman romantically in my life since my wife and I were married. I said, I can tell you that's never happened. Well, what have you done? I don't know, but it was terrible. It's terrible bad. It was awful bad. I, I'm just terrible. I've done something awful. And I wrestled and wrestled. And finally, after some wonderful people came alongside me and prayed. Some of the very best friends I have in my life helped me to understand that was nothing more than a trick of the devil. And he was trying to convince me that I had done something that I didn't even know that I'd done. But he was doing this with guilt, and it was to the point to where I couldn't pray, I couldn't talk, I couldn't worship, I couldn't do anything. I would go, but I was just sort of like a zombie. Now, that was where there was nothing really wrong. There are some of you here this morning that are struggling with overwhelming feelings of guilt. But you know what you did. And the evil one is taking that guilt, and he is taking that guilt to the place to where you can't hardly function and, and because of what you've done and what's happened, you can't forget it, others can't forget it, it's binding you, it's driving you every morning you wake up with it, every night you go to bed with it and you think, if you'd have known what I have done. Let me just say this, God knows what you did. There are others that sin sometimes brings overwhelming bondage. I'll never forget a conversation I had with Taylor Przinsky when she was telling me about uh, the work at Como and telling me about some of those that, uh, of the, uh, the people that were coming uh, for, for drug help and said some of those 
ladies that are captured in human trafficking that they cut their arms. This is horrible. They cut their arms and then they start rubbing cocaine in that open wound until they immediately become addicted to cocaine and they cannot get off of it. They cannot get out of it. They cannot any way they can. They cannot seem. It's the bondage that has broken them and holds them. I've watched people who have come to church and have sat on a front row. I've watched them as they've struggled with addiction issues to be clean and then somehow fall back into it. I've watched drunkards as they've tried to clear themselves up and one time drinking again, they go back into all kinds of things and you begin to think there is this bondage. I can never be free from these chains. There is, sin brings overwhelming fear. Fear that you're going to be caught. Fear that you're going to be found out. If anyone knows what I did, if anyone knows what went on in my life, they will never love me again. No one will ever care about me again. There is overwhelming emptiness. Even in the lives of people who have multiplied millions and billions. It was said that J. Paul Getty got cancer and he was living in his mansion. And he was in his bed and he was, he was actually dying of cancer. And he watched a young man come in who was the gardener. And the gardener, he could see through his bedroom window. And the gardener was working in the garden and taking care of all the different things. And when it came lunchtime, the gardener sat down. He pulled out a brown paper bag. He took out a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he started to eat that sandwich. And J. Paul Getty looked over at the nurse who was caring for him and said, I'd give everything I have if I could just sit down there again and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, all that I have just simply seems to mock me. It's not what I thought it would be. There is an overwhelming sense of loneliness because of the family breakdown that's going on in our lives. And then there is an overwhelming sense of hopelessness. The suicide rate is off the charts. Young people are off the charts. Young people who have so much to live for, I asked my own grandson, who is in a Christian school and a fine Christian young man, I said, Zach, tell me, do any of your friends ever talk about suicide? He said, oh yeah, oh yeah. I said, why would they do that? It's the only way out. We don't know any other way out. It's the only way out. It's all hopeless. And you say, David, you have thoroughly succeeded this morning in utterly discouraging me. <laughs> you, have utterly dis you have utterly succeeded. I wish your iPad had just died. It is just pretty sad. 
But if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Romans chapter 8, and you're going to see the solution. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, God has a solution. Listen to me. God has a solution for the sin problem in your life. He has a sin. He has a solution for the sin problem in our culture. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who bore your sin, who died and was buried and resurrected and came back from the grave and said, I am he that was Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I have the keys of death and of hell and of sin. And I can deliver you. And in Romans 8, it talks about what happens. Here's what happens. In where there is overwhelming guilt, God offers forgiveness. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. And verse 1, I want you to hear the word of God. So now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. But David, you don't understand. <laughs> I did terrible things in my life. Amen. There are a lot of people who did. But I want you to know his blood cleanses. And now there is no condemnation. It is gone. It is forgiven. God offers you forgiveness. And what that means is, I'm going to erase it all away till it can't be seen. I'm going to release you from the debt and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And so when we start talking about it to God after it's forgiven, God says, uh, what are you talking about? I don't remember that anymore. It's, it's gone. It's been, it's been put in the sea of forgetfulness. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. You see, God offers for overwhelming guilt. If you're here today and you're struggling with something you did in your past and you're struggling and thinking, I can't get over it. I can't get beyond it. Let me tell you there is a God who offers forgiveness, full and free forgiveness until it is gone forevermore. Oh, forgiveness. You don't have to be perfect to come to God. In fact, none of us are. He brings forgiveness. There is now, therefore. Would you say these words? No condemnation. Say it again. No condemnation. No matter what I did, but David, you don't know what I did. No condemnation. You don't know what sin I've committed. No condemnation. You don't know what an evil person I was. No condemnation. God gives forgiveness to his people, and he forgives us for now and forevermore. Oh, I just want to tell you, Glory. Amen. And we're just getting started here. For those who are struggling with overwhelming bondage, I want you to know today that God offers you overwhelming freedom. 
Oh, freedom, freedom, sweet freedom. It is the work of God to make us free. Let's listen again in, in, in two. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving uh, spirit has freed you from the power of sin that death that leads to death. And then it comes down a little farther in verse number nine and says, but you are not controlled by sin. You are controlled by the Spirit of God. God can free you if it's a drug addiction, if it's a, an alcohol addiction, if it's a relationship addiction, if it's a pornography addiction, whatever it is that is holding on to you, I want to tell you what, there is power power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And His blood can set you free. Oh. For those of you that are feeling a sense of fear, there is a place where we are fully justified before God. Now, I love this. If you look in verse uh, number three, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what no law could do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared sin to end sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. Now look at this verse. He did this so that the just requirement of the law. Now, you know what the law is? If you break the law, you die. If you break the law, you stand before God. If you break the law, and all of us have, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us uh, can say that we haven't done that. But this is what the verse says, that if you have done that, he did this so the just requirement of the law would be, and notice this word, fully satisfied. Fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature. Let me tell you, when my wife and I were first married, we, we had no money. Still don't have a lot, but we had less then. And uh, we were pastoring our first church. And we made our first big purchase. We made a purchase. <clears throat> you don't do it anymore. Now you can carry it in your phone. We made a purchase of a huge stereo so we could play records. And we got to, yeah, that's right, that's right. We had big, we had vinyl records back then, back before they were really the thing, man, you know. And we put on the vinyl record, and we took and we signed this thing. We're going to pay $11 a month. <laughs> $11 a month till it was done. I looked at Connie, and I said, oh, dear. Are we going to be able to make $11 a month? Now, this is a little different when you're, you're making $60 a week, you know. Can we squeeze out $11? And, and my, my, my wife has always been a marvelous manager of money, and, and she'd squeeze it out, and she'd get a little coupon book and pay that in, pay that in, pay that in. I'll never forget the day that last coupon came, and I looked at it, and it said, paid 
in full. I said, Connie, this is wonderful. We don't have to pay $11 a month. We made it. We didn't go bankrupt. We were able to make it. We can throw this all away now as far as the, the, the paperwork. It's all paid in full. Let me tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, he said to you, regardless of what you've done, it is fully paid in full. You don't owe that debt anymore. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Oh, and those of you that struggle with an overwhelming sense of emptiness. I've got more than I've ever had, but I feel more empty than I've ever felt. There's nothing in life. It just seems like everything is empty. The Bible says and tells us that for those of you that feel empty in your life, that there is a beautiful, beautiful fullness that comes. And it says in, verse, in chapter 9 and verse 11, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. Now listen to this. If you have the Spirit of the living God in you, he can take away the emptiness. He can give you a fullness of joy. He can give you a fullness of hope. He can give you a fullness of grace. He can give you a fullness until even whatever you have Amen. or don't have. I'm a child. I'm a child of the King. And if this invisible but clearly present God, Yahweh, lives inside of me and you. There is a fullness. And you don't need the things of the world to try to fill you up. You don't have to go find a needle. You don't have to go find another bottle somewhere. You don't have to go find another relationship somewhere. There is a fullness that comes, that satisfies in the deep of the soul until we can say in our hearts, a satisfied, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I now am saved. Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone. Long my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. But oh, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. He, my blood, has now been saved. For those of you, and I'm almost done, for those of you that feel overwhelming loneliness, and I think one of the hardest things that I've watched is the breakdown of the American family. And I'm not trying to put guilt on anybody here. I'm just saying we've lost something. We've lost something, and there are people, and there are children, and there are teens who grow up. They've never known what many of us have known of having a loving family. 
they're sort of just trying to make it on their own somewhere and and they 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 walk through life lonely and feeling abandoned sometimes they try to impress others by doing things that are wrong and sinful and things that hurt but for those of you that are feeling lonely and that you wonder will I ever belong anywhere does anyone ever really care can I fit somewhere where I'm not like a third wheel or I'm not like a out of a joint spoke or uh, that I, 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 is there anywhere in the world where I can just feel at home? Let me tell you what the Bible says. In verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Do you understand? I am who he says I am. And he says, I am his child. I am chosen, not forsaken. He is for me, not against me. I am who he says I am. And then it goes on to say, and now we call him Abba Father, or Darling Father, or my precious Father, or my Father that is dearest to me, my loving Father. Let me tell you what, if you've not had a family in life, let me tell you this today, that there is a family that God has given, and there is the Father who loves you. He's the Father your heart has always craved for. He loves you. He knows you. He's proud of you. He wants to help you. You have an elder brother in Jesus Christ. You have the comforter in the Holy Spirit. You have a family, the body of Christ, and you are part of the church of Jesus Christ, and you are part not as a slave, not as a farmer, hand, not as a hired worker, but there's a place at the table for you, and you come because you are part of God's family. Isn't that a beautiful thought? <laughs> You're not a band. I don't care if you don't have another relation that's living. You're part of a family, and it's God's family. And I want you to know Capital City we want you to be a part of this family. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're part of the family of God. Would you turn to someone, even if you're married to them, and say, you're my brother, or you're my sister. You're a part of my, that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> but we are part of the family. And what I love most beautifully, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what scarlet things are in your past. It doesn't matter because he makes us more than conquerors over sin. Last thing, last thing, and that is 
that if we feel that we're in hopelessness, oh, David, political world just about to get me. Oh, it's about to get all of us, I understand. Oh, this inflation, what are we going to do? Oh, this COVID, are we ever going to get rid of this? I don't know. I, I think we're done for. I think we're done for as a country. I, th- I think we're done for. I, 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 there's no hope for me. There's, I've lost my job. Things are too hard. I can't find it. Things are too difficult. There's absolutely no hope for me. And if you're filled with overwhelming hope, hopelessness, God fills you with an overwhelming sense of your future. So listen to what, and we'll talk about this a little bit next week when we start talking about suffering, but listen to this. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are heirs with Christ. This world is not all there is. Would you say that with me? This world is not all all there is. One day all this is going to pass away. One day it's all going to dissipate. But if we have trusted Christ, and the Bible says we are his children, we are his heirs, and in fact together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. You see, in this life, God gives you hope. He wants to give you abundant life. I remember so many years ago at the Reeb Avenue Church, November 8th, I'll be coming up on a birthday here before too long, November 8th in 1964. I stood in the back of the church and God had been dealing with me. And I promised God, it's a long story, but I was running laps at Marion Franklin and, and God said, you know, you're not where you're supposed to be. And I told God, if you'll wait till after football season, I'll give you my heart. Isn't that a pathetic thing? Uh, but that, that's what I did. I said, if you'll wait till after football season, I'll do it. The first, seat, the first Sunday after football season, God spoke to me. You remember your promise? Yes, Lord, I do. And I made my way down to, as some of you know, we've talked about it, down to this altar was located in a different place, but right there. My uncle, who was a doctor and who became more like a brother to me than an uncle, knelt on the other side of that altar and he said, David, I don't know what you're struggling with, but it's not worth it. Just give it to Jesus. And there were things I was struggling with in my heart that only God knew. And when he said that, somehow I was able to let go. And God so sweetly blessed and honored my life. I got up from that altar and I went back to a friend. I said, I've given my heart to Jesus today. He looked at me and said, you can live life with the old fogies if you want to. I'm going to have fun. Can I tell you now, many, many, many years later, many years later, 
He'd been in and out of prison, had all kinds of problems. I want to tell you what, that's the best decision I ever made in my life. I would not change that decision for anything in all of my life. He offers abundant life to you today. And secondly, He offers you eternal life. I want to just read this if you'll let me. I've gone longer than I should have today. I'm sorry. But I want, if we can get this to cooperate, and it may or may not. Yeah, here it comes. I think we just wait just a moment. Here it is. Listen to this verse. This is from the message. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma of sin is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular. When He sent His own Son, He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In His Son, He personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished in us as we simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a minute. I have a sense there are some people who are struggling deeply with guilt, real or imagined. God wants to say to you this morning, we're going to put this behind us and never bring this up again. It's going to be forgiven. And it's going to be gone. I don't care what you've done, how you've done it. It's going to be forgiven. There are some that are struggling today with a sense of bondage. And there are things in your life you just can't seem to get free of. And God wants to set you free this morning. There are some of you that feel empty inside and God wants to give you a fullness that only He can give today. There are some of you that feel so lonely that your heart could break and you just need someone to say, I love you and you are part of the family. There are some of you this morning that you've almost lost hope. God wants to help you. Now here's what I want to do as they play this just softly behind us. I want to just ask if one of those things applies to you, I want you to stand up right where you are. Just stand up right now. We're not going to wait on you. We're not going to tell you. Just stand up right where you are. Just people standing up. Just stand up right where you are. And if there are people that stand up close to you, I want somebody to go over by them. 
I want somebody, if you see someone standing, and I want you to stand up and put your hand on them. I want you to pray for them. If you're standing up, look around, some of you, and if you see that people are standing, just stand and put your hand on their lives. Stand and put their, your hand on their, their life. As you stand, as people are standing all over this place, I'm coming to this place today. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm coming to this place today, and I'm going to trust. I'm coming to this place today today and I'm going to believe God I'm coming to this place today and God is going to get this all together right in my life will you pray with me just talk to God our Father as we come before you this morning you know what goes on in our hearts and what's in our mind you know that the sin issue has come against us in so many ways that we don't even know what it is anymore so, Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name for that one that needs forgiveness. Give them that sense of forgiveness today until they know that God has forgiven them and is behind them and they never have to look at it again. Lord, for that one that is bound by some kind of an addiction or bondage, Lord, set them free. Let them feel that chain fall off even now as they seek you. For that one that feels empty inside, May you fill them with the fullness of your spirit until they know through the power of God that it's right. Lord, for those that are going through extreme loneliness, help them to know that they're a part of the family, that you love them and that we love them. And Lord, I pray for that one that's lost all hope. Oh God, even right now, restore their hope that if God be for us, who could be against us? Oh, claim it right now. Admit to Him what you need. Believe that He hears your prayer. And then confess it and claim, God, I believe you've forgiven me. I believe you've filled me. I believe you've freed me. I believe that you adopt me into your family. I believe that you have a future for me. And I trust you right now. And I seek after you. Stand if you're able and let's worship together as we do it. Let us do it now. Amen. 
us be aware. Let's sing it together now. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become
uh, out to the corners of the earth and they're going to Egypt. And so uh, elders, as you come, I want us to pray over them and pray over her. Yes, amen, amen. And I want you to stand if you will. And you're gonna be gone how long, Judy? Until the 29th of October. She's gonna be feeding the hungry. She's gonna be preaching the gospel. She's gonna be telling people about Jesus. Curtis, you're still gonna be with us here, right? And so we're, we need to pray especially for Curtis. And, uh, and just pray. And uh, Pastor Ed, would you lead us in prayer? And I don't know if you have a microphone there, but just lead in prayer, if you will. Our Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the goodness of God. We thank you for Judy. We thank you for, for Curtis. We thank you for their ministry. And Lord, today we commission them, even as it's said in the book of Acts, that Lord, the Bible said as they worship and fasted, God, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me, Judy, and send her on her way. And as they laid hands on them and prayed for them, they sent her forth. And she being sent forth by the Holy Spirit went to the land of Egypt to share the good news that there is a solution for sin and that God can give her the help and blessing and power that only you can give today. We give you praise and glory and honor for truly we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to be praying for Judy every day, let's give a hand clap to God. Thank you, my friends. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. For those of you on the board, staff, and whatever, we'll be meeting here in a few minutes. But God bless you. You are dismissed.